everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Merry Christmas. If I haven't said that to you yet today, Merry Christmas. The trees are up. We're singing Christmas carols. It feels like Christmas. And of course, um, if you've been to Costco, they started in September. So, you know, we start early and we get all these things in and it starts to feel like Christmas and it's wonderful. And maybe you've got some really great traditions that you love to follow in your home. Moms, you are so good at this. Maybe there's a few dads that are good at this too, but Honestly, most of us dads are just sort of a little surprised when our wife is doing all this, putting all this extra effort into the holidays because we're like, honey, you know, like we're giving them presents, really. They should just be grateful for that. But the moms, oh my goodness, all the things that you do, the cookies and the gingerbread houses and the ornaments and all the special things. Stephanie started when our kids were really little. I mean, maybe our oldest was three or four at the time. She decided that she was gonna start to make them a special ornament that she would make, she's very artistic, and she would make this ornament and it would signify like a big event in their life that year. And um, she has been doing this now. I, when she started doing it, I was like, honey, this, like once you start this, you can't stop. Like this is that you're committing yourself to an unnecessary additional task for the rest of your life. And she's like, no, this is gonna be great. And um, when our kids were just home this past weekend for Thanksgiving, I gotta tell you, one of our highlights is to pull those ornaments out of the boxes. And we've got, you know, 20 years worth of these ornaments now, more than 20 years. And we're hanging these different ornaments on the tree and we're remembering these significant moments in the life of our families. We're doing this and Christmas traditions are just, they're the best. And uh, I hope that you've got some great traditions in your home. Um, but if you're like us and you start playing Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving, um, and then if you're like us also, and family doesn't all live in one town, so many of us, we have multiple Christmases, right? So you've got, you know, Christmas on Christmas, then you got Christmas sometimes the day before, you got Christmas the day after, the week after. And then there comes a point, honestly, by New Year's, where you're just ready to pack up the boxes and kind of put everything away, right? Like Christmas traditions are great, but at some point you need to have like the day after Christmas traditions. You need to kind of move on like what's next? What comes the day after Christmas? Because um, the reality is that in that original Christmas, you know, there, there, there was the day after Christmas, the world was never the same. The world would never again be the same. And so that's why we're in this series, The Day After Christmas, because uh, it's time for us to think about maybe what is our day after Christmas tradition? Like what comes next? What's after Christmas? Because you see, in the original days, there was, um, there was just a lot of, uh, the world was dark and the world was a place where might made right. And the world was a place where those who had the power kept the power and leveraged their power for their own gain and their own selfishness and their own advancement. And into this world came a baby. And you know the story, the story begins like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census 
should be taken of the entire Roman world. In other words, uh, Rome at that point ruled most of the known world at the time. And like any good government who really wants the best for its people, they are looking to increase taxes as much as possible because that's how you help people, evidently. And um, so they issued a decree that a census would be taken. The purpose of the census is to know how many people do we have and how can we best, you know, milk them dry. And so a census would be taken of the entire Roman meant was that everyone had to travel back to their hometown, to the place of their birth. And this is absolute chaos. If you have ever tried to travel at Christmas time, you know how crazy it is. Why the Roman government scheduled this census to be taken at Christmas time, that was not very good planning, right? Oh, well, that's because actually when they issued this decree, there was no Christmas then. There was only chaos. There was just chaos in the world. Uh, you can imagine like everyone trying to travel, it's expensive, it's dangerous to travel. Um, the world wasn't set up at that point for tourism. There's not hotels and motels. There's not conference centers and all the things that we take advantage of now. And everyone is just absolutely, you know, people are trying to go opposite directions to get to the town in which they're born. And it was absolute chaos. And the world honestly was a very dark place, but it's into that chaos and it's into that darkness that a baby is born. It's into that world, it's into that chaos that a baby is born whose very birth would split the calendar in two. A baby is born who represents not just a new birth, a new life, a new person in this world, but actually is the divine come to live among us. As John said, John, who was Jesus' best friend, the word, that is the divine, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And after that first Christmas, the world would never be the same because into this world, baby was born. But it was so much more than that. And we miss this. We miss this when we talk about Christmas when we talk about six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, when we talk about the manger, when we talk about all of the, the shepherds and the angels and all the things that surround the birth of Jesus, we miss something really important that we're gonna talk about this morning. And that is that in actuality, a king had been secreted into this world. A king had been secreted into this world. And we miss this so often when we talk about Jesus. We miss that he is king. We miss that he is called to sit on the throne of not just the universe, but the throne of my life and the throne of your life. And we talk about Jesus in, in so many familiar ways. And in some ways, our culture has done this to Jesus. Our culture has watered Jesus down. But we do this to each other, even in the ways that we talk about Jesus with one another in the church. We, we've reduced Jesus from being king, from being Lord of my life, to being, you know, that person that you call when you need a friend. You know, you're, you're in a bind and you're in trouble and you tried calling six other friends and they're not available. And then at the, at the, as a last resort, we reach out and we call Jesus. Or, or Jesus is like our backup plan. You know, he's sort of like having a spare tire when you go on a trip. He's like, he's there just in case. Uh, Jesus, give us traveling mercies, right? It's this whole thing of like, oh yeah. And if, and if things don't go according to plan, 
we've always got Jesus. Or he's our, he's our conscience reliever. He just kind of soothes our guilt and our shame and he smooths things over and he makes us feel better about ourselves. Or, or he's our comforter. He's someone who just comes alongside when, when we feel lonely and we feel alone and we feel depressed and Jesus is there to be our comforter. Now, Jesus is all of these things, but he is so much more. He was born as a king and he is asking today to be king in our lives. Now, Mary understood this. Mary was under no illusion because when the angel appeared to Mary and the angel announced the impending birth of Jesus, the angel made it very clear who Jesus was and the prophecies that Jesus was coming to fulfill. The angel said this, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Imagine hearing those words, that you have found favor with God. What might God have for you? You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus, which is the English translation of the Greek word, which came from the Hebrew word, Yeshua, Joshua, which means leader, warrior, champion, Yeshua, Joshua. There was, there was no mistaking in Mary's mind what the angel meant when the angel continued, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. This is a royal title. This is royal language that the angel is introducing to Mary. The angel is saying, this isn't just that your son is going to be well-known. Your son is going to be the son of the most high. He will be the son of the supreme king. He will inherit a throne. And Luke goes on to record this. The Lord God will give him the throne, the throne of his father, David. Now, David was the most famous king in Israel's history. Is, it, probably today, David is still the most loved and adored of all the kings that Israel has ever had. And so when the angel says that God will give him the throne of his father, David, he's making it very clear. Jesus is not just coming to be a teacher. Jesus is not just coming to be a life coach. Jesus is not just coming to be a friend and an advisor. All these images that we picture of Jesus, when we think of these New Testament stories of a teacher on a hillside or, or gently moving through the crowds, can sometimes represent just one small facet of who Jesus really is. But the angel announces the birth of Jesus as the birth of a king. And a king must sit on a throne. And he will sit on the throne of King David, the most famous throne of all. But he's also wants to sit on the throne of your life and mine. The angel goes on to say this, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Forever, his kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Or if you took the exact Greek literal translation, it's a little bit more awkward and stilted, but it basically would read like this. Of his kingdom, there shall not 
be an end, which means that Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king today. He sits on a throne today. He reigns over the universe today. He is in charge today. And so the question for you and for me this morning is, if Jesus is in charge today, if he reigns supreme today, if he has inherited the throne of the most high God today, the question is, is Jesus my king? Is he the king of my life? Have I given him permission to rule my world? Have I given him permission to be the Lord of my life? And we miss this so often because we think of Jesus in these, in these colloquial, friendly terms. Like Jesus is, um, you know, like he's just this, this power source that we plug into when our battery's a little bit low. You guys ever find yourself, you know, you're, you're someplace like, we used to take our family to Disney World a lot and there's nothing worse than being like halfway through the day at Disney and you realize your phone is almost out of juice because now you can't do anything at Disney without your phone. You have to, so then they sell these little fuel rods that you can get, which is a complete ripoff, but you'll do anything to keep your phone from dying. You just need to plug into a power source for a little bit. And sometimes that's the way we talk about Jesus. Like, man, I, I probably should go back to church because I'm feeling like my battery's a little bit low and I just need to plug back in. And then I kind of like tap into that power source and you know, like juice back up. And then I can go back out and I can do what I need to do again. Jesus is this, He's really there to serve me. He's there to serve my needs. He's there to give me the energy, the boost that I need to get things done. Or, or maybe, you know, I had to use this this morning and I thought, I'm going to take this to church with me because this is a great example. You know, when, when all else fails in life, a little bit of Jesus, right? You just take a little bit of Jesus, you shake it up and you just, you know, and it's like, oh, that, that totally did it. man. Like, it's amazing how powerful this stuff is. Like, when, when everything else has failed you and you've reached your limit, you don't know what else to do, it's just like a little bit of, a little bit of aerosol, get a little bit of Jesus in there and kind of fix things. Now, I know that's not how you really think about Jesus. I know that you understand that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. But there's a difference, right, in, in all of us, myself included. There's a difference in all of us between understanding this, between believing this, between knowing this, and then actually following Jesus, actually allowing Jesus to sit on the throne of my life, to wake up in the morning, and before I make any decisions, before I, I make any turn any direction for the day to stop and to invite Jesus to sit on the throne of my life. And this is what makes Jesus so incredibly different as a king because Jesus invites us into his kingdom. Jesus invites us to allow him to be the king of our lives. He doesn't intrude he doesn't force his way in. He doesn't make himself the king of your life, but he invites you into. And so this gives every one of us a choice. And every morning we get to choose. 
Am I going to allow Jesus to be the king of my life today? Every day we get to make a choice and we get to either opt in to his kingdom or we can opt out of his kingdom. We could say, you know, Jesus, I think I would just like to keep you on the shelf. I would like to keep you as an accessory to my life. I think you look really pretty as a piece of jewelry or maybe a tattoo or, or maybe a t-shirt that I wear. Um, I, I've got a bumper sticker, Jesus, that totally like, totally lets people know that I am for you. But king, king of my life? I don't know, that, that's gonna take a lot. And every day, you and I have the opportunity to choose. We can either opt in to his kingdom or we can opt out. But on the days that we opt out, on the days that we opt out, heaven will never meet earth. His kingdom will never overlap with our kingdom if we don't invite him, if we don't choose him, if we don't allow him to be king of our world. He'll still be king. And in fact, you'll still be Christian in the modern definition of the word. Oh, I believe Jesus is who he said he would be. But I have not invited him to sit on the throne. And in the original definition of the word Christian, you will not be a Christian because you will not be choosing Jesus as your king. This is, this is, this is big for us. And, and, and as we begin this Christmas season, it's so important for us to remember, this is not just a baby born in a manger. A king was secreted into the world. A king was secreted into this world. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, what's interesting about King Herod and about so many of the other characters that show up in the story of Jesus is that honestly, if Jesus had not been born, if Jesus had not come into this point on the calendar, you would not even know about these people. Because the reality is that every person that Jesus' life intersected with during his time, from his birth to his resurrection, every single person that Jesus' life intersected with, they became a footnote in his story. They became a footnote in the story of Jesus, whether you were a pauper or a prince or a king or even Caesar himself. And so we know what we know about King Herod because King Herod makes it onto the pages of history largely because of the story that's told in the beginning of the Gospels about the birth of Jesus that happened while Herod was king. Now, Herod was a great king. He ruled for 40 years. He was absolutely merciless. He was powerful. He was a tyrant for sure but he was also a skilled military leader, a strategist, a general. He was an architect. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He knew how to lead and he knew how to govern and he did so with an iron fist. And he stayed in power for 40 years, which is a really long time in those days. So he really was great. And we're gonna learn something from Herod today that he understood about Jesus that you and I might've missed. 
So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, the Magi are probably like, um, they were part of the, the royal court and some other kingdoms. We think probably Persia or Arabia. We're not really sure, maybe both. Um, they probably weren't kings. That's probably a legend that came along in the third century. So we sing the song, but it's not actually correct. But they were, they were probably from the royal court of these different kingdoms. They were wise men. Um, we say that there are three because there were three gifts, but really there could have been 30. We don't know. But they came because they had studied the ancient text. They were wise men who would study the ancient text. And what's actually phenomenal is that at some point, evidently, some copies of the ancient Jewish text had made their way into their kingdoms. And so they were familiar with the prophecies that there would be a Messiah, that there would be a king that would be born, and it would be a really big deal in Israel. And so the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, which was kind of the wrong town because Jesus is six miles down the road in Bethlehem. And we'll find out why in a minute, but it's because they, they weren't actually following a star. You can join us part two for a little bit more on that. But they came to Jerusalem because they had been reading and studying this literature and they came to Jerusalem and they asked, they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews. King of the Jews. Where did they get this from? They didn't get this from just a star that had risen. They got this from the ancient Jewish literature that they had studied and they had studied the prophecies and they knew that something big had happened and they expected that there would be a king. And because they were looking for a king, they came to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And that's where they would come to find a king. And so they said, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. We have come to bend a knee to him. We have come to bow down before him because we recognize not just that he is our savior, which is incredible. Not just that he would die for our sins, which is amazing. Not just that he would offer to love us for all of eternity, which is enough to blow our minds, but that he is king. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed. Why would King Herod be disturbed? Because he understood something that we often miss. He understood that when a king is born, people have to choose. When a king is born, allegiances are tested. Loyalties can be shifted. When a king is born, everything changes. And so when Herod hears this prophecy that a king has been born, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why all of Jerusalem? Because when the king's not happy, nobody's happy. Everybody's on edge. Nobody knows what King Herod's gonna do. He has a reputation for being ruthless. And when King Herod is disturbed, we should all pay attention. We should all be a little bit concerned. And so he calls together all the people's chief priests. He calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asks them this important question, where the Messiah 
was to be born. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, we get to where we hear words like Messiah and, and we just sort of understand what these words mean. We kind of move right past them uh, because we understand, oh yeah, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. But we need to pause for a moment because it's important that he uses the word Messiah. Messiah, everyone understood, was another word for the anointed one. Messiah meant the king, the final king that God had appointed for the nation of Israel. And so Herod didn't know much about the Jewish faith, but he knew enough to know what would threaten his throne because he had a plan for his kingdom and he had a plan for his legacy and he had a plan for his throne and that was his children would inherit his throne. He knew who was gonna be the king after he was king and that would be one of his children would be king after he was king. And so when something comes along that's going to threaten his reign, he pays attention because he understood what we so often miss that Jesus came as king. And when a king arrives, we must choose. In fact, this is actually what the Greek would look like um, when, uh, when Herod is asking this. He says, so he inquired of them to find out where the Christos, the Christos would be born. Now we hear the word Christ and we're familiar with this because we've allowed the person to define the term. So we hear the word Christ and we think, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some of you have even said that today, this morning, something dropped on your foot and so, or the, you know, and, and you just calling out the name of Jesus. But you say, Jesus Christ. Now, when somebody says Jesus Christ, you should say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Because when they're saying Jesus Christ, they're not just saying his name, they're giving him a title. And believe it or not, when you say Jesus Christ, whether you say it with reverence or with no reverence at all, you are saying Jesus is king. You are saying Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is a title for Jesus. It's not his last name. It's a title that means he is the Messiah. He is the final king. He is the one who will reign supreme. And so when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying, you're giving him a title. You're elevating his position. We've allowed the term, or rather the person to define the term instead of allowing the term to define the person. The term Christ is what defines Jesus. The term Christ is what gives Jesus the entitlement to the throne. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the final King. Another way to say Jesus Christ would be to say Jesus, God's anointed one. Jesus, King. Jesus, King. Well, the question for you and for I today, is he my King? Is he your King? Maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the Christmas season when you decide that you are gonna elevate Jesus to his rightful position in your life. That Jesus is not just going to be an accessory or an add-on. We do this so much in our culture. We, we, we say, okay, we'll just add Jesus to all the other things that are important in my life. I have a, I have a political identity. I have a sports team identity. 
I have a, a college that I went from that's part of my identity. I've got a career that's part of my identity. And I have these things that kind of make up the little parts of my identity. identity. Maybe the role that you have at home or with loved ones, with friends. And these are all the pieces that we line up as part of our identity. And I have found that especially those of us who found Jesus later in life, maybe we've come to God later in life and we say, oh, okay, well, I kind of already know who I am. I've already figured out who I am and I've kind of lined up all the different pieces of my identity. And Jesus, thank you so much for being willing to come into my life. Jesus, you are welcome into my life. Jesus, I'm gonna give you the best spot right up here next to my Florida State medallion right here in my life, right? That was unfair. It's the Georgia people that really have problems. Oh, I can always get y'all's attention when I start to talk football. Oh, oh wait, Jesus might want an even higher place in my life. Jesus might want the ultimate place in my life. You see around here, we use the word surrender a lot. Matter of fact, the last couple of Sundays before Thanksgiving break, I use that word a lot in my messages to say that my hope for you as your pastor is that you would surrender to Jesus. Now, surrender is just another word for pledging your allegiance, for allowing Jesus to be king of your life. You know a word that's really effective and really powerful and really meaningful and really significant in this context that we do not like? You don't like this word. You're not gonna like that I say it but it's the word submit. We do not like to submit. If you do not believe that, drive on I-95 for like five minutes, right? The person behind you doesn't wanna submit to you. You don't wanna submit to the person behind you or the person in front of you. It's like, hey, I've got my cruise control set don't you dare make me tap the brakes and turn off my cruise control. Don't mess up my, I'm in a groove here. Let me do my thing. Oh, I have to, I have to submit. I have to, I have to tap the brakes. I have to let someone else weigh in. God is saying to you through his son, Jesus, he is inviting you. He's not forcing it. He's not intruding you. He's inviting you to allow him to be king, to sit on the throne in your life, that you would submit your life to him. Because you see what Herod knew was that when a king is born, everything changes. The trajectory of the future is never the same after a king is born. When a king is born, people must choose. There's a, there's a great collection of uh, radio addresses that C.S. Lewis made um, back in the 40s. And um, it is, uh, it's been compiled and, and you can read it. Some of you, there's a longer version, which is mere Christianity. The shorter version is uh, the case for Christianity. And from this, from this, there is a powerful, powerful quote from C.S. Lewis about what it would mean for each one of us if we would truly understand and truly embrace the idea that Jesus has come not to just be our buddy, but Jesus has come to be king. And he says this, I wonder 
whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world, in other words, people who are praying for God's direct intervention in our lives, I wonder if they quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. In other words, when the author of the play walks onto the stage, the play is over. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, oh, he said what I, yeah, okay. I've read this too many times. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying that you are on his side then? What's the good of saying that then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us would have any choice left. For this time, this time that he appears, this final time that he appears, for this time, it will be God without disguise. It won't be a baby in a manger or a teacher on a hillside. It won't be just soft and loving Jesus. It will be King Jesus. Something so overwhelming that it will either strike irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. Why? Why might we be filled with horror? Because we'll realize then it will be too late to choose your side. Because there's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to get up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen or already chosen, whether we realized it before or not. So now, 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 today, in this moment, is our chance to choose. For all of us here today, this is our chance to choose. And then he, he kind of reaches into what Peter said after Peter had seen the resurrection of Jesus years later. He said, God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. We must recognize the importance of today, of this Christmas season, as the opportunity, perhaps our last opportunity to choose to make Jesus king of our lives. Because Herod, Herod believed and he acted accordingly. When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Because Herod's paying very close attention. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. That's pretty close. That's just six miles down the road. And then Herod called the Magi secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Why did it matter when the star had appeared? Because Herod wanted to know the age of this now infant Jesus. 
Because Herod was about to do something horrible. That he would be acting exactly in accordance with what he believed. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And then Herod made plans to do what he would do next, to protect his throne, to protect his kingdom, to protect his legacy. Because you see, believing is not enough. Herod believed, but Herod was not going to bow. Herod was not going to bend his knee. Herod was not going to give up his throne for Jesus. So Herod did the most awful thing imaginable because his throne was his throne and he was not going to give up his throne for Jesus. So the question that you and I have today is that Jesus is inviting you to allow him to be the king of your world. Will you allow him to be the king of your world? He wants to be so much more than just, oh, I'm gonna call a friend. He wants to be so much more, so much more than just your comforter. He wants to be so much more than your last resort. He wants to be the king of your life, the king of your world. And so today, we must choose. When a king comes into the world, where will your allegiance lie? Will you bow? Paul says in Philippians chapter two, that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not because we are forced to, but because we will see him as he is. And when we see him as he is, everyone of all faiths, of all peoples, of all nations, everyone will bow because everyone will know that he is king. The question is, will you be filled in that moment with horror because you didn't allow him to be king of your life? Or will you be filled with irresistible joy because you know him, because you have surrendered to him, because you submitted your life to Jesus and allowed him to be your king? I hope that today, I hope this Christmas season will be your time to surrender, to submit, and to follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this truth of who Jesus is in our world. And I pray that we would allow this truth to shape who we allow you to be in our lives. God, we surrender to you today. We ask that you give us the courage to do that tomorrow when we wake up and the next day after that, that each morning we would recognize and we would surrender to you. Thank you for being a God who is good, who is loving, who does want the very best for each one of us, but a God who is also great, who is mighty, who is king, who is powerful enough
powerful enough for us to trust you and to surrender our lives to you. Thank you, God, for being good and great. We trust you today. Amen.